It's the Americhicks with Kim Munson, the most important story. The Washington Times said the patriotic Americans donated U.S. flags after protesters raised the Mexican flag over the ICE facility. The latest in politics and world affairs. It is not fair that, that people come in illegally and they have three square meals a day, TVs and all. There's something that is wrong with this picture. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. When we get into conversations with people, you can get real bombastic with each other because you haven't read it. You don't know what you're talking about. It's the Americhicks dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. So if you understand the issue, then you can have calm, reasonable conversations. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. Welcome. I am Kim Munson, and we have a fabulous show planned for you today. Uh, in studio with me is Dr. Thomas Cranawitter. Good morning, Kim. How are you? Well, I'm doing fine. I'm starting to see, you know, I, I call you Dr. Thomas Cranawitter, yeah. and then sometimes I refer to you as Cranawitter, but <laughs> I just saw that um, people that really know you refer to you now as Cran. Cran. Yeah, yeah I Cran. saw that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and people who knew me growing up call me Tommy. Call you Tommy. So <laughs> <laughs> when, when I when I go back to Hayes, Kansas, everyone that I see still calls you Tommy. Still calls me Tommy. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah. Okay. Well, it's <laughs> it's so great to have you here, and uh, we are partnering on Vino and Veritas. Yes, we are. And um, it's pretty exciting. We have three of them going on. One in uh, South Denver, Centennial South Denver. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one in Castle Rock, and we have one up in Fort Collins. Mm-hmm. And what is happening in these Vino and Veritas clubs, honestly, I've never seen anything like this. People coming out, uh, they're having a great time. They're meeting new people. They're networking. They're drinking some wine. They're eating Mm -hmm. great food. They're having a wonderful time. I walk into the room, and it's so – it's loud because everyone's talking and laughing and joking, which is – it's this wonderful energy. And then – through the course of a year, we're reading the Federalist Papers. And and what's beautiful is we're attracting people from different backgrounds, different, you know, different political stripes. And the different responses to the Federalist Papers, I'm finding fascinating. People who you would think would just love it because it's the founding and it's the Constitution. Uh, they're really thinking through the book and, and they're pushing back in some places. They, they don't necessarily agree with all the arguments that they're finding. And other people who who you might think would come in with an attitude of they, they want to fight with the founders, they want to challenge the Federalist Papers, they're, they're actually deepening in their respect for the book because they're seeing all kinds of insight into human nature. It's just a wonderful experience. It is a wonderful experience. And and this really precipitated from you were in studio last November 19th, because that's the anniversary of the Gettysburg Address. And, uh, and so we thought, let's, let's have you in and, and been trying to to get through the Federalist Papers with some of my other friends. And it's a, it's difficult if you're just trying to come in. (laughs) It's kind of a tough slog. It's kind of a tough slog. And uh, so you came in and we talked about the Gettysburg Address. And uh, you said something, Tom, that day that just, it took my breath away. And that was regarding, uh, and set it up just a little bit, the Gettysburg Address. And do you remember what you said to me is how long it took him? So set that up. Yeah, you were asking, there's there's a story, it's something of a myth that, you know, Lincoln sketched out the Gettysburg Address on the back of a napkin as he was writing out there. And, and the truth is, 
it took Lincoln his entire life to be able to write the Gettysburg Address. When you study Lincoln, he was he was uh, studying those ideas. He was practicing how to talk about those ideas in his speeches, in his letters, in his essays that he's writing. He was practicing for many years uh, how to articulate that in ways that made sense, first of all, to himself, and that made sense to others, to mm-hmm. his audience. He was also listening carefully and reflecting upon criticisms and challenges and questions that people would have. And so he was always refining this. And it, it took him basically 40 years to be able to distill this down to 272 words in the Gettysburg Address. And, and the whole purpose of that speech is to explain the cause of the war, the cause of the Civil War. That's that's why he begins, uh, you know, with that famous statement of fourscore and seven years ago, pointing back to 1776, those ideas, right, that proposition that all men are created equal, that's ultimately what this is all about, uh, according to the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States, who was uh, leading the effort in the Civil War. Well, and and uh, so I asked you, how long did it take? And you said it took a lifetime. Yeah. And that took my breath away. But then afterwards, we started talking just after you were in. What if, what if we called Jen Hewlin over at uh, Water's Edge Winery and said, hey, Jen, why don't we do something? Uh, let, let's try this. And it was astonishing that, that it sold out. Uh, the yeah. whole year subscription sold out. amazing? And so we opened Castle Rock mm-hmm. and opened uh, Fort Collins. And so I think folks think that maybe, hey, I didn't get in on the beginning. And I think we've got a few spots at Water's Edge Winery because we had people that were driving down from Fort Collins. That's right. And so they are now going to the one in Fort Collins. That's right. So we're on a little different schedule. But uh, go to my website, and you can sign up, and we'll get you connected with uh, Bethany, mm-hmm. uh, who's taking care of all this. But uh, go to com and sign up. Uh, and I want to make a plug for the September um, uh, Castle Rock one. Now, actually, we're coming into Big Vino and Veritas week. <laughs> uh, so, Three in a row. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have on Sunday night will be ca- uh, Castle Rock. That's Monday right. will be Centennial. And Tuesday will be Fort Collins. Right. And definitely love to have you at these. In particular, though, uh, and, and so we're on a little different rotation. Uh, you had given the, uh, the whole thing on slavery. Yeah. At Waters Waters Edge Winery, and you didn't sugarcoat it, and uh, you could have heard a pin drop (laughs) as you described, you know what happened. But the other thing is, is that you then you made the case that it was so unique in the American idea. And the Americans were really the first ones. I, I guess Wilberforce was trying to get rid of the, the slave trade over in Britain. Right. But the Americans, these little, you know, hanging on the eastern seaboard, yeah. this little group was the first ones in history to grapple with this. Well, it, it, they, they, they were the first ones to establish a regime on this idea of universal human equality. Right. The, no one had ever done that. The, the, the French had not done that. The, the English had not done that. No, uh, the Romans, the Greeks, nobody throughout history had created a political regime based on this abstract idea that applies to all human beings everywhere. And that's what makes the American story fascinating, beautiful, tragic, because it means that slavery necessarily was in violation of the foundational idea of the American regime, right? In 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 most countries that were based on caste systems or class or so tribal affiliations, India, Africa, 
That's, all those places. All those places. Slavery uh, was not necessarily in violation of their ideas, of the of the values that they held. But here in the United States, if you stand upon this idea that all all men are created equal, all human beings everywhere always have the same equal natural rights to themselves, to their own life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, then slavery is a problem for you. And and what I like to point out is uh, that in itself is unique throughout most of history. Most people did not think slavery was a problem for thousands of years. They thought it was traditional. They thought it was normal. They thought it's the way of life. Uh, Nobody wanted to be a slave. They would prefer to be a master, but it didn't enter the minds of most people that the institution itself is wrong and should go away. These Americans come along and in the course of their own fight with the British, they think their way, they, they fight their way, they think their way to this idea of universal natural rights. And then as they reflect on that idea, they realize this institution among them, slavery, it's really problematic. It's wrong. It has to go. That had never happened ever before in history. And it's a story all Americans should know more about. We should be talking more about this. Well, we will talk more about that. Uh, I talked with Bethany yesterday, and we're going to probably do something in October, get you scheduled to come in and talk about it in October on the show. But the plug that I want to make, first of all, email me, uh, go to my my website, americhicks.com, and sign up, And because we're coming into big Vino and Veritas week, and we can get you plugged in. But I do particularly want to make um, a point in September at the Castle Rock Avino and Veritas, you will be taking on this uh, issue of slavery. Have you checked the schedule? I'm, I checked that. I'm trying I to remember with, in my head where, where we are. With, I checked that with Bethany. <laughs> okay. And at, when uh, you made the presentation at Water's Edge Winery, you could have heard a pin drop. And then you, you go through this whole thing that you just mentioned. And Christy Whaley, one of my good buddies, she came up to me with tears in her eyes afterwards. She said, I've fallen in love with America all over again. Oh, that's wonderful. It was awesome. So, hey, I, I have a few things. And, and, and oh. may I just add real quickly, yeah. for those who have not been to Avino and Veritas, even though we're sort of in the middle of the book, in the middle of the club, come anyway. Um, I always try to sum up where we've been, what's mm-hmm. been going on as we've been reading mm-hmm. through the book. And each discussion uh, more or less kind of stands alone. Mm-hmm. So it's so so even though you've missed some, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, get a ticket. Get a seat and come join us, and you'll have a great time, I promise. You will, and you'll learn something. So, hey, I have kind of some some things that before we get to Lauren Le- uh, Levy is going to be calling in in segment two. Uh, he is with Polygon Financial, and we'll be talking about these crazy interest rates, mortgage rates. So uh, before we do that, though, first of all, Bob in Michigan sent this most delicious um, combination of a cantaloupe and a uh, honeydew melon. I think I got to take a look and see exactly what it is. Okay, Bob, hold on. He called it a, let's see, it's a howl melon. And it arrived yesterday via UPS. And I opened it. It's this beautiful melon. And it is like candy. And so I brought some in for you, Steve. What do you think of it? Well, uh, if you hadn't described what it was, where it came from type thing, I would have just sampled the bite and said, wow, that is outrageously good cantaloupe but then you realize after a while it's like there's something else in there Uh and uh, it was it was exceptional so thank you to bob in michigan greatly appreciate that and uh, as we talk about this show every day it's freedom versus force force versus freedom when we look at these issues that's what we need to look at socialism ultimately comes down to force 
And uh, we need to re- remember that. Um, there's three, three questions that Dr. Stephen Kessler has talked to us about socialism. Do you have any skin in the game? Are we bringing people up or are we yanking them down? And you felt good, but did you do good? And we're seeing a socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, water, all the things that make everyday's people, their lives better. And we're seeing government continuing to try to take more and more control of that. And so that's why we talk about all these issues every day. I want to say thank you to producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, and Charlie for all your good work keeping this train on the track. And thank you to each of you listeners out there. You're each valued. You're treasured. You have a purpose. And uh, go out and take care of that. Uh, We'll be talking in segments three and four with Dr. Cranowitter regarding classic liberal education. So I thought... uh, you know, for our, our quote, our inspiration, and our jokes that we would talk about education. So, Chinese proverb, Dr. Cranowitter, <laughs> says, If you are planning for a year, sow rice. If you are planning for a decade, plant trees. If you're planning for a lifetime, educate people. Mm, that's beautiful. That's perfect, too. Yeah, love yeah. that. So, yeah. Okay, Steve, are you ready for the funnies? I got three of them for you. I'm going to hold you to it. Okay. Susie comes home from her first day at school, and her mother asks, what did you learn today? And Susie replies, not enough. I have to go back tomorrow. <laughs> Number two, Billy. Teacher says, Billy, name two pronouns. Billy says, who, me? Teacher says, very good. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, I love this because the kids are back in school. When you're going back to school after vacations, the best part is seeing all your friends. The worst part is that your teachers won't let you talk to them. <laughs> Oh, that is mean, Steve. That is mean. All right. I, I, I have a quick education joke. Okay. And this is actually a true story. This, uh, this was my, my mentor in graduate school, Professor Harry Jaffa, who, is, who was truly one of the great uh, interpreters, philosophic interpreters of the founding and the Civil War and Lincoln's statesmanship. And in the discipline of political science, that's my PhD is in political science, there's this internal... Uh, debate and dispute over what political science is or what political science should be. The the political Mm -hmm. scientists actually debate this amongst themselves. And there's a large camp of academic political scientists who think political science should be very quantitative. It should be filled with numbers and equations that should be predict things. And uh, at, at a conference, one of those quantitative types approached my teacher, Harry Jaffa. He said, Come on, Professor Jaffa, can't you come up with some equations and include that in some of your in some of your scholarship? And Professor Jaffa thought for a second, he said, I have an equation for you. One GS equals three NP. And the guy scratched his head. He said, well, what does that mean? He said, one government solution equals three new problems. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. <laughs> that is good. Well, we're going to go to break. Dr. Thomas Cranowitter is in studio in segments three and four. We'll talk about classical liberal education. Uh, And when we come back, we'll be talking with Lauren Levy. He is with Polygon Financial. And uh, we want to talk about this crazy interest um, interest rate market. And then also I want to ask him about this inverted yield curve that they're talking about all the time. So this is Kim Munson. We'll be right back. Looking for an awesome place to host your draft party? Look no further than Hooters. With tons of TVs, free Wi-Fi, world-famous wings, and ice-cold beer, you're probably thinking, it doesn't get any better than that. But wait, at Hooters, it does. Every fantasy league gets a free draft kit and over $200 in Hooters swag. Join us for fantasy football done Hooters style. Book now at Hooters.com slash football. That's Hooters.com slash football. See you at Hooters. 
All AmeriChick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and AmeriChick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at AmeriChicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Thrilled, I'm going to be talking with Lauren Levy in just a moment regarding this crazy interest rate market, inverted yield curve, all those things that you're hearing about. Before we do that, though, I wanted to mention that um, there's going to be a real assault on the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, uh, Tabor. And uh, that is, uh, Tabor is basically just about good manners. It says, hey, uh, PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, if you, A, want to raise our taxes, B, incur debt that we have to pay off, or C, keep our tax refunds above a very generous formula that allows government to grow at a formula of population plus inflation, you just have to have the good manners to ask us. And the PBIs, the politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, they don't want to ask us. And so they're going to be putting on the ballot some real... um, um, kind of deceptive language uh, to try to start to take uh, take a bite out of uh, Tabor at the state level. And of course, out in Jefferson County, they've got something on the ballot. We're researching other ballots to let you know what's going on there. But Natalie Minton is having her second training in regards to Tabor. The Taxpayer Bill of Rights is going to be Saturday, September 14th at the Lone Tree Library, which is at 10055 Library Way in Lone Tree. The training starts at 11. You need to check in by 1030. It'll be done by 3, 20 bucks for that. And to register, go to coloradoengaged.com. That's coloradoengaged.com. Uh, you know, every day, Tom, somebody, we need to do something to push back on this overreaching government, and that's something that would be great for people to do. It's, it's absolutely necessary because those people in government, right, they're always – Always, every day, every hour, looking for ways to take more of what belongs to others. Right. It's time to push back. Right. We have to turn that yep. spigot off. Yep. So. That's right. So let's get over here to Lauren Levy with Polygon Financial. Lauren, how are you doing today? Doing great this morning, Kim. How are you? Well, good. Welcome. It's great to have you on the show. And uh, wanted to talk with you about interest rates. I mean, that seems to be in the news right now. And uh, you're a mortgage specialist. I mean, it's important that people get, you know, get into the right mortgage for them. But what's going on with interest rates, Lauren? So, you know, as most people know, we've been in this low interest rate environment going back to the recession. And for years, people have been asking me when are rates going to rise. And they've kind of been on a bit of a roller coaster the last several years, but never really going too high. But now they've come back down again to almost historic lows from, gosh, where they were back in like, nine and again in around 13 uh we're back to about the lowest rates we've been seeing in in history so with that being said if people are thinking about refinancing or getting into a home i mean this is a really good time to try to make that happen yes i agree yeah we're in an interesting spot here you know for the last couple years 
home prices have just been going up. You've been seeing, uh, if you were to list your home, people being nervous about selling it too quickly and not being able to find a replacement property. People were getting eight, ten offers in a day on their home, and that seems to have been cooling off a little bit, which is actually creating more balance between buyers and sellers, which is nice. All the while, with interest rates being low, it's a great time to be looking for a home. Um, with regards to refinancing, there's just a huge opportunity right now for people to save money on what they're currently paying or to take the amount of years or time they have left on their loan and reduce it into getting into a shorter-term loan. Okay, and just a quick note, if people are looking for a new home, Karen Levine, who is a, a, a valued partner with REMAX Alliance, she's a good person to talk to, and that phone number for Karen is 303-877-7516. So I just needed to plug that in there. That's 303-877-7516. So, Lauren, um, let's get your phone number and your website uh, in here for sure, too. What is your website? How can people contact you? So they can go to the site. It's group. Dot com and uh, my cell number that's easiest to reach is 303-880-8881. Oh, that's a good one. 303-880-8881. Okay, Lauren, next question. We've heard uh, the the recession word a lot this last week. Uh, and um, attributing it to the inverted yield curve. Help us understand what you think is going on. So it's a, again, extremely interesting time that we're living in. I tell my kids that, you know, the history books that I grew up with are going to be different. They're going to, our, their kids are going to see stuff happening today. And with this inverted yield curve, what they say, the reason the recession word comes up is that economists say that I believe it's like seven out of the last seven times the yield curve inverted, there was a recession within 18 months. Whether or not that holds truth, no one knows. But basically what that means is in the U.S. Treasury market, you know, you have a a two-year, five-year, seven-year, 10-year, and 30, and the two-year past the interest rate is yielding higher than the 10-year. And that is a very rare occurrence. It's not what they would call a normal yield curve. Um, and so when it inverts, that's what they people, it's, it's food for fodder that, uh, you know, that people think a recession is coming. Okay. And what do you think? You know, I think I think it's unrelated this time because of the nature of the global economy we live in. Um, I don't necessarily think that it's fair to assume that the U.S. is going to go into recession because our yield curves have inverted. This time around, a lot of the causing of the inverted yield curve for us is the fact that European rates and global rates are so low, mostly negative, that people in those countries can't get any yield. So they're coming over here and buying our bonds which is what's causing our yield curve to invert. And if things normalize in Europe with some rate increases and things, I think the money can return back where it came from. And, you know, our economy will just continue on doing well like it's been doing. Okay, so what you're saying is is that one of the reasons this is happening, at least what I, I think I hear, is that it's a, it's a it's pure economics as far as supply and demand. That uh, because our economy is strong, that we're seeing, and, and I think that there are some problems in Europe and in China. And because our economy is strong, then in essence, money is flowing to the United States, and so you get this whole supply and demand thing that's that's probably contributing, right, Lauren? Yes. I mean, if you think about it, if you live in Germany and you want to give their government, which is supposed to be an extremely safe place to put your money, government bonds, you want to lend their government your money for 10 years, you're going to be paying them to hold it. You're going to get a negative return. And you can come over here and lend our government money 
for a paltry, you know, 1.55% per year, but still that beats negative returns. And so you're seeing a lot of that money flowing in here just to get yield in a safe environment. Okay, Lauren, so I, I, I need to understand this. So in Germany, if you put your money in a bank, then in essence, you you have to pay them to put your money in the bank. So I'm thinking, well, why would you do that? And they're like, well, it's probably, I don't want to put it under my mattress in case, you know, a robber comes in. So then they're looking for other places to put it. And even though interest rates are low here in America, that's that you're getting some kind of return versus having to pay to put your money in a safe spot, a, a safe place, right? That's exactly right. I mean, aside from FDIC insurance, which is inherently the government insuring money, government bonds are the safest place you can put it. They're fully guaranteed unless the government goes out of business, which is a yeah. conversation for a whole other day. <laughs> That'd be and a big so problem if, in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> and in other ways, exactly. not so much. Bless, yeah. Might be a blessing in other ways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. Exactly. Okay. But if you're going to put it somewhere and you're looking for the ultimate safety, that's where you're going to put it. And, and you'll take paltry returns here to avoid negative returns elsewhere. Okay. Okay. Well, that, you know, Lauren, thank you for, uh, you know, bringing, shedding some light on that because that inverted yield curve thing has been, you know, out in the, the mainstream media. In fact, I was talking to a young millennial last week. He's like, oh, man, the inverted yield curve, we're going into recession. And I'm like, I've never heard that from you before. And uh, so thank you right. for shedding light on that, Lauren. And again, well, you know, Kim, one oh, of the scarier ahead. parts is that is like what you and I talked about yesterday. When, it, when news like this hits Main Street, where they talk about recession, recession, they can almost manifest it, right? Where they can scare people into thinking that the economy is really getting bad. But with 3.7, I think it is, unemployment mm-hmm. rate. You know, and, and, you know, most people that want jobs have them or have good ones. You know, I don't I don't see it right now, but you can certainly try to generate it if you try hard enough. Well, that's another conversation for sure, Lauren Levy. And so, again, that is polyfi dot uh, com. Polyfi group dot com. Polyfi. That's P-O-L-Y-F-I group dot com. And uh, that phone number is 880, or it's 303-880-8881. Lauren, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, great. And Jason McBride, uh, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing just just lovely, Kim. Good morning. (laughs) Well, it's good to talk with you. And Dr. Thomas Cranowitter is here as well. Hey, good morning, Jason. How are you? Oh, long time no (laughs) talk, too. That's right. (laughs) You know, you are a valued partner, Jason. And not only with, with me at Americhicks.com, uh, but also you have seen the real value in Vino and Veritas. And so Presidential Wealth Management is a sponsor of uh, at Castle Rock and uh, Water's Edge Winery here in Denver. And that is your Denver group. And then up north, the group out of uh, Loveland, Loveland. Mm-hmm. is uh, sponsoring at Fort Collins. And you're just a real valued partner. And we great both. I know Tom and I both greatly appreciate it. Well, gosh, uh, I'm blushing and uh, feeling weird from being. Uh, um, now I try to be so n- much praise upon. I'm just not used to it. Well, we, well, and to make things really even crazy. better, we Jason and I got to take a really great looking picture together. Photo. Ah, yeah. yeah. Now, well, so w- the part w- with you in it was great looking. <laughs> <laughs> is that uh, is that on uh, at chickspresidential.com by any chance, Jason? I, I don't know. You'll have to ask Zach about that. We'll have to ask Zach and go to chickspresidential.com and you'll find out. Oh, did you hear, did you hear what Steve just said? 
<laughs> he said he said it sounds like Beauty and the Beast. So, hey, what is going on with the markets, Jason? Boy, it, it's it's still been pretty interesting, as you know, Kim. Uh, for a couple of weeks, we were getting beat up pretty good. Uh, then we've been trying to make a comeback here for the last few days. Yesterday capped off with a about a three hundred point up move on the Dow, but. I'm not sure if we're out of the woods yet. Um, I would be watching on the on the low end about 2,800 on the S&P. If we break below that, uh, then that's kind of trouble again. Uh, I'd really like to see us get above uh, the highs we made right before this 800-point drop. And I apologize, Kim. I can't pull up a chart because my Internet's down. Thank you, CenturyLink. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I think... <laughs> Oh, you, Kim, if you'd let me, I'd I'd take uh, the remaining 30 minutes of your show to let everyone know how displeased I am with them right now. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. But uh, uh, I think if we can get above 29.75, especially if we can get some volume coming back in, that would be a, a, a good move. But I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we kinda just go back and forth and struggle a little bit. Uh, We are coming into September, uh, which is generally the toughest month on the markets, and we got October coming, where sometimes we get some uh, pretty ugly sell-offs before we we get the rally that uh, is fairly common from November uh, through the early months of the next year. So I'm just kind of, I'd be happy if we were just able to kind of hold our own here. Uh, maybe we get the, the pullback in October to flush some people out and reset things and then, then get our, our big up move that uh, we've come to expect in the, in the November months. Okay, and speaking of September, we've got yep. a really fun event coming up again at Water's Edge Winery over at Jen Hewlin over there. She's doing, I mean, it's just always a fun time. She really knocks it out of the park, doesn't she? She does knock it out of the park. And so uh, this is going to be September 16th, and it's our nuts and bolts, and it's no sales, no hype. It's just the nuts and bolts. And you are bringing in Jeffrey Hirsch uh, from New York, uh, and he has written this, uh, let's see, it's the Stock Traders Almanac. And everybody's going to get a copy of that. And uh, so people need to sign up for that. Jason, I'm really excited about it. Well, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Jeff's, uh, you know, he is a good New York boy. And uh, he is fun to talk to. He's got a good sense of humor. Uh, But the guys, he's smart, too. And they've done a lot of research on these patterns that happen. And and it's not stuff that's so esoteric, Kim, that the average person couldn't not only understand it, but also figure out how to implement it as well. So I think you'll you'll have some good food, you'll have some good wine, uh, you get to hang out with uh, you and Jeff, and you get to put up with me, uh, <laughs> but you might accidentally learn something, too, that uh, might help you make more money. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, I think that would be great. And so the questions, some of the questions we're going to hit is, does Does the election cycle, which we're coming into, influence market performance? Are there certain days that are almost always strong? Can January reveal what may be in store for the rest of the year? And what have been the best six months for the markets? And is it the same six months for all types of stocks? So it's going to be, like you say, you can learn something. We're going to have some fun. It's always, as you mentioned, at Waters Edge Winery, uh, Dr. Cranowitter, when you come in, people are meeting each other, networking. And so that's going to be September 16th. 
and go to americhicks.com and sign up. And uh, it's going to be a great evening. So, do, Jason, do, do people have to pay? Do you have to buy a ticket for that? Does that cost money? Well, you know, with um, Vito and Veritas, yeah, people yeah. do. That's right. How about with this event on September 16th? Well, Jason is, is going to pay for all this. Oh, wow. That's, so, a, that's an additional reason. So you, you just have to register. You have to register. To that's okay. all you have to do. That's, right, Jason? That's, great. that's right. Uh, yeah, go to your site, americhicks.com, or you could register at chickspresidential.com. That's our site. Or uh, you could just call Natalie uh, about 7.30, let her get to work at 303-694-1600. She'll get you signed up. We're looking forward to seeing everybody there, but we can't because there's limited seating. So sign up soon. That's right. Reservations are coming in. They're very strong. So if you are uh, want to come, you better uh, go to the, uh, any of those websites and sign up or call Natalie at after 7.30, 303-694-1600, Jason, thanks so much. I'm looking forward to this, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Have a great show, guys. Okay, and we're going to go to break. Dr. Thomas Cranawitter is in studio, and we're going to be talking about a classic liberal education. And uh, it seems, in some ways, that so- sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not, is it? Well, it might be a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll dig into that. Okay. The classic and liberal aren't necessarily the same thing. Okay, we'll go- we're going to break. We'll be right back. Are you looking for news, not propaganda? Ready for a news source you can actually trust? How about a news site that doesn't want to sell you a subscription? Visit CompleteColorado.com to see all the latest news from around Colorado. Complete Colorado's staff scours news sources from around the state and nation to bring you only the top stories that affect you right here in our great state. Updated three times a day, CompleteColorado.com has full-time reporters doing original investigations and reporting like newspapers used to do, as well as opinion and political commentary from a variety of Colorado voices. And CompleteColorado.com is the only place to read columnist Mike Rosen. Always fresh content, always free, Always informed. CompleteColorado.com, your complete source for Colorado news. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson with the Americhicks at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. In Fort Collins, attend Vino and Veritas at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson with the Americhicks would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland, Presidential Wealth Management Greenwood Village, Tina Francone with Straightforward Shooting, and Grand Lake U.S. Constitution Week for their generous support. Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today at americhicks.com. Social media is important to the Americhicks, since it's an avenue we can utilize to hear from and speak to all of our friends. For those of you who enjoy listening to the show, we'd love to hear what's on your radar. Follow us and talk to us at Americhicks Twitter and Facebook pages. Also, if you're a business owner who could benefit from some extra foot traffic from like-minded friends, consider advertising on the Americhicks radio show. Contact us at Americhicks.com or email Kim at Americhicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. Thrilled to have in studio with me Dr. Thomas Cranawitter. We're going to be talking about a classic liberal education. And uh, before we do that, though, U.S. Constitution Week up in Grand Lake is one of the sponsors of Vino and Veritas. And, uh, and you're going to kick it off. It is, it is such a hoot. You know, one of the beautiful things about Vino and Veritas, we, we're... 
we're meeting all kinds of wonderful people and, and we're drinking wine and reading the Federalist Papers, but we're also partnering with all these incredible organizations and businesses like Jason McBride and Presidential Wealth Management and also the whole team up in Grand Lake, Colorado. I, I, I think there are still people who don't know this. Grand Lake, Colorado puts on the, well, according to their own literature, the premier, and it is true, it is. the premier Constitution Week, uh, September 17th, is Constitution Day. That was the day that the Constitutional Convention concluded their work, and that's mm-hmm. the date in Article 7 of the Constitution, mm-hmm. September 17th. Well, in Grand Lake, rather than celebrate Constitution Day, they do it for an entire week. They bring in scholars, speakers, researchers. Uh, I've been one of them. I've been speaking there now. I think this is going to be my seventh year, I want to say, uh, speaking at the Grand Lake Constitution Week. But they also add in, it's not just academic and historical and constitutional. They have they have world-class uh, international barbecue competitions. They have live music. They have fireworks over the lake. And And here's the, one of the best things about it, Grand Lake is beautiful all the time, but in the middle of September, all the the leaves are changing, right? Fall is just coming. It is, it is so beautiful up there and you get to hang out with fun people. It's, it's incredible. Uh, people, in fact, I've been teasing my friend, Tom Goodfellow, because they have the, uh, one of the longest, uh, uh, website addresses that it's so hard for people to remember, but I'm going to throw it out there. It is, uh. If, oh, no. It's GrandLakeConstitutionWeek.com. Isn't there a U.S. in there? Grand Lake. Oh, U- GrandLakeUSConstitutionWeek.com. There you go. There so you go. GrandLakeUSConstitutionWeek.com. So you're going to be kicking it off on September 16th. That's right. And I'm going to be finishing it up as introducing the keynote speaker. Okay. Uh, and that is Kevin Sorbo. Ah. Who is... Uh, Hercules, right? Hercules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so he is a, a, a conservative... In Hollywood. <laughs> and so it's going to be fascinating. And so that is U.S. Constitution Week. Uh, and again, that's going to be September 16th through September 21st up in Grand Lake. And it is spectacular. The other thing is, is Tom Goodfellow and that team, it's it's truly amazing, is can, the Kansas City Barbecue Association yeah. is going to be up there. And many of their members, they're going to have a competition. Yeah, And so good food, beautiful. I mean, just it's gorgeous. A, it's, and God it's is showing off. There. Oh, yeah. And uh, great speakers. So yeah. go to uh, GrandLakeUSConstitutionWeek.com and get more information. Okay, Dr. Thomas Cranwitter, we have this piece that we are just pushing out today that uh, you uh, are sharing. So go to AmeriChicks.com, and the title is The Urgent Need for Classical Liberal Arts Education. And uh, those two words, classical and liberal, explain that. Well, the, 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 there's actually a little bit of a of a contradiction there uh, in a couple of ways. Uh, one is, first of all, the word liberal has two very distinct meanings. Uh, one is in the modern sense that really emerged out of the New Deal. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt kind of rebranded or recoined the word liberal. And, and what, what Roosevelt meant by it was liberality or generosity, the willingness to give. And, of course, what that means in, in modern American political terms is giving other people's money. So right, going and voting for programs that uh, where the government 
takes money from taxpayers and then distributes to others. That's what it means to be a a New Deal liberal in the United States today. Uh, There's an older term, liberal, which goes back to the 17th and 18th century, the Enlightenment era thinkers such as John Locke, Adam Smith, most of the American founders considered themselves liberals in that Enlightenment era. But even that is somewhat different than classical or ancient political thought or political philosophy. In this regard, ancient thinkers, uh, take the ancient Greeks, Plato, Aristotle, they made the argument that the goal of politics, the goal of a political community, a regime, its ultimate purpose is to cultivate virtue in the citizens, among the citizens. Enlightenment-era liberalism, Lockean liberalism, Adam Smith liberalism, they argued that the highest goal of the regime was liberty, was individual freedom. And, and those two things are not exactly the same thing. In fact, when we look back at ancient Greek regimes, they're quite illiberal by modern Enlightenment standards. Uh, think of a regime like ancient Sparta. I mean, every aspect of life really was governed and regulated and commanded. Uh, there was no such thing as individual rights, individual freedom, individual individual choice about anything. And they argued, well, that's because the purpose here is to cultivate virtue. So we need to control many areas of life. So those two terms, classical and, and, and liberal, are not exactly the same thing. Uh, but there emerged in the medieval period, the Renaissance period, a kind of education that combined these things together, uh, elements of classical thought. So there was this resurgence in the, the, the Renaissance period of looking at the Greeks, looking at the Romans, this classical literature, and then sort of fusing it together with Enlightenment-era uh, literature and philosophy that came along. So in a way, that's what classical uh, liberal education is. It's, it's studying the great books of the Western tradi- tradition that stretches from the Greeks through the Romans uh, through more modern kinds of thinkers. Okay, so the word virtue and liberty, I hadn't really thought about this because uh, virtue maybe in Sparta, mm-hmm. virtue might mean you know being um, strong in battle or yes. so there could be different definitions of virtue. Y- yes. And then you see Madison, they talk about a virtuous society. Yes. And then I think that for a while, um, Christianity got the rap of defining what virtue yes. is in other people. And and I, I actually push push back on that a bit because um, I, I, I think that it comes down more to in individuals. Well, l- let me let me fill in some of the gaps there. So what you said is true. And in the in the ancient world, the ancient Greeks, for example, they used the power of law, the power of government to uh, heavily influence how people lived for the sake of promoting virtue. In the more modern Christian era, in the early Christian era, the power of government, the power of church, they were connected. They were synonymous. They were the same thing. Rome originally was both the church, right, the Catholic church, and it was the government, and it had an army. And the problem there when uh, uh, early Christians were using government power to promote Christian virtue, the, the, the Christian version of virtue, what that often led to was religious persecution. Uh, 
okay. right? That if, you, if you're not a Christian or you're not the right kind of Christian, uh, you need to be punished. And that led to all kinds of terrible wars of religion mm-hmm. in Europe. The founders come along, the American founders, and they say, we do want virtuous citizens, yes, but it's not going to be the job of the government. It's not going to be law and police and judges, right, and and courts that are making people virtuous. That's going to be in the private realm. That's the separation of church and state, the rightful separation. Uh, the, the the founders talk about the importance of churches and and family life and mm-hmm. education and everything in the private realm should cultivate a, a morally decent and virtuous citizenry. But that's not going to be the job of the government and certainly not the job of the national government. Okay. And that's why they put such a value on education. We need to go to break, Dr. Cranowitter. When we come back, there's so many things I want to ask you about. Um, yeah, so let's go to break and uh, we'll continue this conversation. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in homeownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers with GER, Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping Golden Retrievers find their forever homes. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the Americhicks with Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. Come join the ADA Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person and children under 12 are free. Friday, August 16th through Thursday, August 22nd, features will include Angry Birds 2, The Lion King, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And remember our popular Monday through Thursday pizza special. Get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall, cool 16-ounce sodas, all for only 12 bucks. Plus, now you can top it all off with our new sweet, crunchy churros and a steaming cup of hot chocolate. For more information, go to our Facebook page or visit our website at 88drivein.net. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Thrilled to have in studio with me, Dr. Thomas Cranowitter. We're talking about about classical liberal education. And you made the case we talked about virtue, liberty, and it seems like um, people like to make sure other people are virtuous uh, according to their definition. And you see throughout history how government has been used uh, to make that happen, you mentioned the Catholic Church. You know, Christianity, uh, when it converged with government, there was big danger in that. And that's why the founders, you know, pushed back on that. And I, I would submit to you that that is different than the actual uh, uh, gospel message of, of Christ. Um, because he's a pretty freedom freedom guy. He's like, you can choose to reject me. You can choose to, you know, believe in me. It's It's up to you. We're not going to force you. But then you mentioned virtue and government. And what I see now with the progressive, regressive left, if you will, the radicals that have taken over the Democrat Party, this Democrat Party is no longer the party of JFK. Uh, and, and so what has happened is, is now there's this virtue of, uh, 
emissions, how many emissions you emit, and uh, how much, you know... Well, let me, let me put it in, in sort of big, a big scope. Okay. Uh, the whole movement towards mandatory universal education, which, which stretches back to the beginning of the progressive era, going all the way back to the 1870s, 1880s, that whole movement is really ancient, rooted in the ancient idea of using government power to, to craft the kind of souls, the kind of character, the kind of virtue that those in charge of the government want to have. Um, John Dewey, the really the, the, the kind of mastermind godfather of the modern education movement, he was very clear about this, that this is, should be the purpose of education. He, he said he was quite frank about this. It has almost nothing to do with reading and writing and arithmetic and things like that. Education is all about creating the kind of attitudes and personalities and demeanors, the character of the citizens. And from his point of view, what we want is kind of good, squishy socialists. That's, that should be the purpose of education to produce those kind of people. And in his mind, that is virtue, right? Being, being a good socialist, a devoted socialist is virtuous. That's how he would define that. And in a way, that's what we have today. That's, that's mainly what public education has begun, has become. And that's the source of of certain uh, sectors of people pushing back, they want something different. That's that's where we get the movement for you know education reform, choice, charter schools, voucher programs, all of these things. Uh, the piece that you mentioned that we produced here just recently on liberal education came out of one of our many partners with uh, Vino and Veritas is the group of folks at Ascent classical academies. They have one in Douglas County and they're looking to open a new school up in Northern Mm -hmm. Colorado. And, uh, they've partnered with us. They're, they're advertising marketing through Vino, Vino and Veritas for their new school. In fact, if people are interested, I I have their website. Um, it's NOCO, N-O-C-O, which stands for Northern Colorado. Okay. NOCO.ascentclassical.org. And people can find out about the new Ascent uh, Classical Academy they want to open in northern Colorado. They're public but schools. They're, they're, they're charter schools, which mm-hmm. is a public school. Mm-hmm. But their real focus is on classical liberal education, which is strikingly different from typical public education. And it's, it's different in that uh, classical liberal education is really focused on the question of how to live, how to live well. Uh, the, 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 its roots are in 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 the ancient world uh, where free people think of think of the Athenian democracy. It truly was a democracy in the sense that citizens showed up in person and decided the political questions of the day, whether it was a trial. Uh, sometimes famously, like trying Socrates, right, for crimes against the community, um, or it was questions on legislation, and the, the citizens themselves sat, deliberated, argued, debated, and then took votes. And this gave the Greeks this idea of, well, these citizen legislators, they need to know about living and living well, the arts of being a free person, which is which is how that term art uh, it gets inserted into classical liberal arts education, the mm-hmm. arts of being a free person. And, and we have moved so far away from that generally in our public education. The founders thought that education was important. And actually, the regular people, the merchants, the farmers, uh, they were very well educated. As we're reading the Federalist Papers, 
everyday people were reading this and understanding it. Yeah, and think of, you know, in the Federalist Papers, you have all these historical references to Europe, to Rome, to ancient, right, Greek histories, and yet ordinary people in the United States in the 1780s, uh, they were at least familiar enough with that history that they could talk and debate and discuss these things. Uh, Today, you know, I mean, you can just watch some of the late night comedy shows, talk shows, right? And they'll walk around, ask people basic questions like what century the Civil War was. And Americans don't know these things. Like what color was George Washington's white horse? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Remember that one? Um, as, As we look at what has happened to public education in America today. Uh, it's it's no longer, and, and I'm generalizing, I mean, there's some really great public education teachers out there, so I'm looking at this macro from a macro level. Um, there, It's come down to force, and that is really the question that we have on the table, is well, freedom well, versus force, I think. I, I, I think that's right, and let me put my finger on something very specific. I mean, you're right, in... You One will find many good, serious teachers, talented teachers in public schools. The difference is um, within the realm of public education, you will find this assumption, this dogmatic assumption, a, a prejudice really, that there is no moral truth. There is no right way to live, that it's that everything regarding the choices we make really is just a matter of perspective. It's a matter of culture. Uh, That kind of relativism is is the framework. It is the paradigm of modern public education. Classical liberal arts reaching back to the ancient thinkers offers something different. It says, no, look, there is a thing called human nature. And we can know things about human beings that, that's not dependent on your culture or your perspective. We can, we can know, for example, that it's better to have friends than not to have friends. That is a universal human truth, right, that cuts across time and space and skin color and language barriers. Human beings are happier beings when they have friends, and they're pretty lonely when they have not a friend in the world. And you can build upon that. You can analyze human nature and understand what's good for human beings, what's not, and then and then the habits of life, the choices that you can make that lead to a better, happier way of living. That's what classical education offers. It's something that's completely missing from the whole framework of modern education, where basically modern education says uh, regarding the most important questions like, what kind of person should I be? <laughs> how, should I, how should I live? How should I live? They say, ah, that's up to you. That's just a matter of perspective. It's entirely up to you. Tom, I, and I think that, that, that we're seeing that play out now in, in our society. As I did the, the promo uh, for this show, I said, uh, are we a cut flower society now? Do we have roots or do we not? And I, I submit to you that much of the prosperity that we have is because those before us uh, were, um, you know, steeped in a foundation. And when we are in relativism, it's sand. And, and we see this uh, in society now that, that there's no, no real truth. Well, there is real truth. And that's why we must continue to push for these classical liberal uh, arts educations. And that's why Ascent Classical Academies, they've had to really fight. Boulder, the, the Boulder School District, would not let them come in. Right. 
and uh, and we have to ask why. We I think uh, surveys show that 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 the Americans still really like freedom. And uh, it's been masked, what has been happening in public education, what's been happening in government. Uh, I think that the veil is off. What's happening with Vino and Veritas, people are empowered. And I love it. So we're just about out of time. Your final thought. (laughs) Well, you're you're absolutely right about that. I mean, look, uh, it comes down to the question of, is freedom good? Is it good and worth defending? Is it right? Is it true? And telling young students there is no truth, that's not a way to preserve freedom. Uh, we are out there part of the effort to make the case why it's actually, there is truth and freedom is truly good and it's worth preserving. And that's what we're all about. So speakeasyideas.com, right? Speakeasy. That's where people can find me, can... speakeasyideas.com. You got it. So John Steinbeck said, I've come to believe that a great teacher is a great artist. And there, are, there are as few as there are any other great artist. It might even be the greatest of all arts since the medium is the human mind and spirit. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you and God bless America.